Former Detroit police officer Ike McKinnon stops his car at an inner city intersection. It was here 50 years ago that McKinnon, an African-American still wearing his police uniform, was driving home in the midst of the riot when he was stopped by two white cops. They came up with their guns drawn, and I said, police officer. The uh, older officer, brush cut, gray hair, he said, uh, tonight you're gonna die. As I dove back into the car, he started shooting at me. McKinnon says he reported the incident to his supervisors, but they did nothing. That worried McKinnon. If those officers were doing that to me, as a fellow officer, what were they gonna do on the streets of Detroit? McKinnon eventually became chief of police and a deputy mayor. But in July of 1967, McKinnon was one of the few blacks on an almost all-white Detroit police force in a city that had become a war zone. After five days of violence, with the National Guard and U.S. Army troops and tanks patrolling the city, about four dozen people have been killed and more than a thousand injured, the vast majority of them African Americans. Even months after the uprising, then-Detroit Mayor Jerome Cavanaugh was confronting increasing tension between black Detroiters and white suburbanites. Gun sales have also soared. And let me say, my fellow citizens, that this arms race must be stopped. We must return to sanity. There's this whole sort of narrative about falling property values and rising crime that were the nexus that for white people made the policing strategies acceptable. Former Detroit City Council member Sheila Cockrell was a 20-year-old activist in July of 1967, watching army tanks patrol the city's streets. She calls the unrest a rebellion against constant police brutality, one that actually had an upside. She says it led to Detroit electing its first black mayor, who integrated the police force. But Cockrell notes the uprising also accelerated an exodus of white people and financial capital out of Detroit. And the irony is that today... Working-class, poor black people today are worse off than in 1967. A presidential commission later determined that systemic racism had driven the rioting. Officials initially downplayed that report, but some Detroiters say the reasons behind the rebellion must not be consigned to the past. A small park now stands where the uprising first ignited. Detroiter Lamont Causey calls it an attempt to sanitize events city officials would rather forget. I think a lot of folks was trying to hide the, the stigma about what happened, but you can't throw history under the rug. Can't do it. You have to talk about it in order to move forward, and so that's what we're doing. Causey says he's lived in this neighborhood all his life. He glances at the overgrown areas nearby and says the ravages left from the uprising remain very apparent. Look around, you see the consequences. Do you see any uh, businesses? All you see is a bunch of raggedy houses right now that we waiting and hoping to get redeveloped. That's what we're waiting on. 50 years down. 50 years. There are plans afoot to create new stores and even a cultural center on this spot. But Causey and others here say they meet official pronouncements with a mix of hope and suspicion. They were targeted 50 years ago by police sworn to protect them, and the wounds remain very raw and very real.